The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. How are you, friend? Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. It was just a few days ago, I was flipping through a USA Today newspaper. There was an article that said it had been more than 30 years since the very first episode of Seinfeld was first broadcast on television. 30 years. That is absolutely extraordinary. Like a lot of you, I have seen every single episode of Seinfeld. So I'm going to pull this interview out of the archives. An FM radio station in Charleston, South Carolina broadcast this one. My interview with Jennifer Keshen Armstrong. She talked about her book, Seinfeldia, How a Show About Nothing Changed Everything. Let me know what you think. I hope you enjoy. Our special guest on this episode of the Paul Leslie Hour is Jennifer Keshen Armstrong, author of Seinfeldia. How a show about nothing changed everything. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, let's assume you're a big fan of Seinfeld. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? Yeah. I mean, I I feel like it's so hard to answer that question simply because I've watched it in its original run in the 90s, and it wasn't, at least in my world, it wasn't like a thing you decided to be a fan of consciously. It wasn't, I don't think like now when we have so many TV options and they're all so great that you're like, this is the day I'm going to watch stranger things. And then you become a fan in that time. If you were into TV, there was no question you watched Seinfeld and pretty much you were a fan. Like <laughs> that wasn't like, it was more a decision to be the exception to that rule than it was to be part of that. It was so huge. It was everywhere. If you wanted to be part of the conversation the next day, you had to watch it. And I can't imagine liking television and liking comedy and not liking Seinfeld. It just, it's just part of life that, you know, you watch Seinfeld and you're a fan. Yeah, that's definitely true. It was just such a huge, huge part of the 90s. Yeah, it just was like being alive and being a person of pop culture in the 90s. I mean, I have met people who said, well, I was in a monastery or I was, you know, in South America when it was on or whatever. Like, there, you know, you have to have sort of this extreme reason to have not experienced Seinfeld if you were around at that time. Can you recall your first exposure to the television show Seinfeld? I can't really. Another way that it just kind of is there. I don't remember like sitting down to watch the first episode and making some kind of conscious decision. And now I'm all scrambled up by the fact that I've watched it several times through as an adult and as a person writing this book. So what I can say is that I often talk about the episode, The Marine Biologist, as one of my favorites. And part of the reason I love that, in addition to it being great and having some wonderful moments, is that I do have a memory of watching that episode and kind of having a TV geek, an early TV geek moment. And I remember getting it. I remember being like, 
oh, I see what they do on the show and why it's so clever. Like, I see that they bring all of the storylines together at the end in this really surprising way, and that that's almost part of the suspense of the show is waiting to see how they're going to put this together. And that, I remember that striking me as kind of my, one of my early proto TV critic thoughts when I was still a teenager and watching the show. So that I do remember. When you first watched it, you were instantly hooked? I guess so. Once again, it feels like it's just, I don't remember having all these thoughts. I just remember doing it and not questioning it. And especially when Seinfeld and Friends were both on Thursday nights on NBC, it was like, you just, that's just what you did. It was, there was, it was without question. And, you know, you had to make that appointment at that time to watch television. You could tape things, but that was laborious. You really, it was still a time when most people had to say, I can't go out that night, Seinfeld is on. And it was just a completely different way of experiencing television from what we do now. It's like people are going to say, well, they probably already do. Back when we used to have to be home to watch a show. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's really weird to think about. And I mean, there's a million ways that that affects the ways we watch television and the ways we experience it. And Seinfeld and I think Friends are probably some of the last shows that we watched that way as a, as a nation, you know, as a, like, we all had to be like Thursday night. We know when it was on now, some shows, you know, we, we stream shows. They don't even have a day that they're on. And the fact that things are on at certain times is, is becoming a relic. Absolutely. So tell us about you, Jennifer Armstrong, the author of this book, Seinfeldia. Are you a particularly pop culture-oriented person? Yes. I mean, I've been writing about pop culture for, I don't know, however many years now. I was on staff at Entertainment Weekly for 10 years. I left there in 2011 and obviously had been spending my entire time there writing about pop culture. And I wrote about pop culture topics even before that, kind of leading up to it, of course. But I've been doing it for a good let's see, what is that, 14 years now or something as the one thing that I do. And what caused you, in terms of writing, to particularly hone in on the show Seinfeld? I mean, part of it is, so I write books about television. I write about television mostly for a living, period. And I write books about television. My last book was about the Mary Tyler Moore show. I wanted to do a similar thing. So honestly, it's like, it's like less of it. I want it to be this grand, beautiful story of inspiration. But once you sort of know what you're doing, it's like, then, then you go, okay, what show can hold up to that treatment next? And there's actually very few shows that I think warrant book treatment. There has to be an interesting backstory. There also has to be a lasting cultural impact that you can talk about and people have to still care about the show and want to read a book about it. So once you realize how much you need for a book, there's only a few shows that could possibly stand up to that. It, it doesn't just take like, let's pick our favorite show. It's, it's much more than that. Throughout your research doing this book, how close is Jerry Seinfeld, the man, the comedian, to the character Jerry Seinfeld on the show Seinfeld? I think he's fairly close. My vague impression is that 
he might be, you know, it's probably a little more complicated as a real person, probably like most characters versus real life. But it seems like he's fairly what you see is what you get. I also think, and he's talked about the fact that, like, he's not a trained actor. He had no acting experience going into, very little, I should say, going into the show. So, you know, he was smart. He wanted to play a version of himself so that he could just play, you know, he could be as close to himself as possible. We're talking with Jennifer Armstrong, the author of Seinfeldia, How a Show About Nothing Changed Everything. The thing that's interesting is, you know, just kind of like you were talking about, the line between reality and the show, it sometimes is it's difficult to determine. <laughs> and that seemed to be a topic that came up a lot in your book. Yeah, yeah definitely very interested in that. It's, it's interesting because just talking about it in this way, you realize like it really starts with a decision for Jerry to play himself, right? That's where it all begins. So we're already intersecting fiction and reality. And that was less common, by the way, then than it is now because Seinfeld made it so. Now every other show is about a comedian playing a version of himself, you know. But back then, that wasn't necessarily true. And once they decided to really have him, I mean, he's actually playing a a stand-up comedian, you know, just like he is. And living in New York just like he once did, et cetera, et cetera. And then they based a lot of the characters on people they knew. So we kind of all know now at this point, especially having watched Curb Your Enthusiasm, that George is a version of Larry David. Kramer was based on a neighbor of Larry's when he was writing the pilot. His name is actually Kramer. His name is Kenny Kramer. He was such a great character. Larry wanted to put him in, and the name was so good, he even wanted to keep the name. And from there, it just kept going. You know, there, there's a lot of characters who are either obviously based on real people, Jackie Childs, the lawyer. It was at the height of the O.J. Simpson mania, and they loved the character, the person, Johnny Cochran, and the character he might make. So they used, they used that as an inspiration. The Soup Nazi was based on a real purveyor in New York City. Jay Peterman is a real catalog company run by a guy named John Peterman. So it just, it goes on and on. It's, it's kind of amazing. You're mentioning of Kenny Kramer, who was a guest on this radio show. Mm-hmm. We meet him pretty early in your book. And the Kramer that we know from Seinfeld has to be one of the most memorable characters in all of television. But you got to interview the real Kramer, Kenny Kramer. What did you find him to be like? I think there's a lot of similarities. I mean, there's, of course, differences, especially once the show gets going. It's like Kramer becomes, Cosmo Kramer becomes his own thing in the hands of Michael Richards, who's brilliant. But there's definitely, you know, Kenny has a big personality. He's fun. He kind of fills the room, you know, if he's in it, he kind of commands attention and he's a great storyteller very funny. He always kind of seems like he's got like a scheme going on, like Kramer we know from the show. Had a very easy relationship with Larry David when they lived near each other, the same way that Kramer and Jerry have on the show where they kind of like leave their doors open and wander in in and out of each other's apartments. So, you know, there, there are definitely a lot of similarities in having talked to Kenny 
and spent time with Kenny several times now, I can understand the allure of making him into a character. I think any writer who meets him would, would want to make him into a character. He's just too good to resist. In the course of your writing, Seinfeld, did you attempt to contact any of the four main actors? Of course. Jerry Seinfeld? Yes. You did? Yes, sure. Of and course. what happened? They, they declined to participate. Uh, well, do you know if they read the book? I don't know. Not sure? No. Nope. Why do you suppose that Seinfeld has connected with so many people? I think it's the everyday concerns that it deals with. We just relate to that so heavily because it's taking our own everyday struggles and kind of blowing them up into these big, hilarious dramas. That's really what what the show's about. And it just, these are things we all deal with every day. They're not extraordinary circumstances like other shows tend to deal with. You know, it's not about a mob boss trying to work out his life. Like, that's not something most of us are going to ever relate to. This is just this everyday, tiny little struggles we all deal with. And I think that's why we just keep going back to it and we love it so much. We're talking with Jennifer Armstrong, author of Seinfeldia. Did you go through and watch chronologically the entire series when you were writing this book? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've done it a few times, yes. What was it like writing the book, the experience? I don't know. <laughs> you know, it, it, it takes up a couple years of your life, so it, it becomes pretty, pretty quotidian to you. I watched the show a lot. I talked to a lot of amazing people who had wonderful, interesting things to say. I got to talk to a lot of the people who were the inspirations for the characters, like you mentioned, and a lot of the writers and directors and people who made the show. So amazing, you know, and, and it just, I, so I got to talk to lots of people who made something that I love and that a lot of us love. And I'm always interested in, in finding out how that happens. So it was it was really fun. And then, you know, it was a lot of just trying to figure out what, what to put in and what to leave out and how to tell that story. Of all the people that you interviewed, of all the people that you met as a result of writing the book, who did you find was the most interesting? Oh, I couldn't possibly. There's a lot of wonderful, interesting people. Kenny Kramer is, is definitely one of them. I think Larry Thomas, who played the soup Nazi, is just amazing and lovely. One thing that really struck me about him is, so he basically still makes his living playing the soup Nazi 20 years later. He is a character actor. He played this character for one episode of Seinfeld, and that's it, which is amazing. People think often that he was on more. He was also in the finale, but everyone was in the finale. Just this one thing, and it it struck people so much that they still pay him to go do appearances around the world as a soup Nazi. People just love when he shows up and says, no soup for you to them, and he signs soup ladles and meets people and takes pictures with them. And, you know, I think the thing that struck me about him is just the fact that He's very well adjusted about this. Like he embraces it. He feels like this is a way to pay my bills so that I don't have to take crappy acting jobs. I can only take the ones, you know, I can take just the ones that I really want to take and do this the rest of the time. But it's pretty extraordinary to be playing the same kind of bit character 
for 20 something years and, and be cool with it. So there's just so many people like that, that I got to talk to and learn about their lives. You mentioned earlier in the interview that your favorite episode or one of the favorite episodes is the marine biologist. Mm -hmm. What is it about that one? So first of all, it is sort of the moment that I was talking about. I think that's part of why like it is just that I remember realizing like, oh, this is why this show is cool. But it also is really about that, the final monologue of that episode where that's the one where George starts the monologue, the sea was angry that day, my friends. And it's just a wonderful performance by Jason Alexander that really shows why he's so good at being George, which is that he kind of brings this dramatic actor kind of commitment to playing this very funny role. He's not playing it funny. He's playing it serious, and that's why it's funny. And I just love that performance and that monologue. Even just a short scene, do you have a favorite scene from the series? That's definitely one of them. I also, there's like a moment, and people have talked about this before, but I still love it. When, in, so it's the Junior Men's episode, and they're talking about, Jerry and Kramer are talking in the restaurant about going to watch this surgery happen, which, you know, defies explanation. You have to just watch the episode. Um, and <laughs> so they're going to go watch the surgery happen. And Jerry has this throwaway line where he says, let's go watch them slice this fat bastard up. And it's so great because it was, it was ad lived and, Kind of, it was almost more like a joke that he was making to the the crew and the and his fellow cast members in the moment, and you can sort of see like he's laughing at it in that moment, and and they decided to leave it in, and it just sort of signifies the fact that they could get away with pretty much anything at that point on the show because it was so popular and America still loved it. It's a terrible thing to say, and America's like, we love Jerry. <laughs> I think that this reveals a lot about a person. I don't know what this says about me. My favorite mm -hmm. character from Seinfeld is George. Mm -hmm. Who is your favorite character? Uh, you know, I have a really kind of kind of typical answer to that, which is Elaine. I'm a girl. But I don't know if I would say that if she wasn't such a wonderful female character. I remember absolutely loving her from the beginning. And you know, episodes like Spongeworthy and others that really highlight her as this liberated woman really spoke to me at that time. And there were so few female characters like that on television then. It, it was wonderful to see. When Seinfeld decided to call it a day and the show was coming to a close, what do you think it was that most was the catalyst for that happening? I think they were tired. It was really hard to make that show, period, and to make it so great week after week after week, and they were under so much scrutiny by that time. I mean, this is, by the, by the end, the New York Post is running weekly, I love this, it's very 90s, facts polls about, like, was this a good episode or not kind of thing. That early, early it's, it's presaging the way we watch TV now and, like, overanalyze everything online. They were tired. Larry David had left two years earlier, and it turned out he was doing an awful lot of work and to make up for the loss of him was, was very difficult. And all of the writers were working kind of 24-7 together. They were telling me stories about how they'd kind of just like, even if the Super Bowl was on, they would just still be all together working. They'd just turn the Super Bowl on, you know, and then go back right back to work. It was just really hard. And 
I think they were burned out and he didn't want it to drop off in quality. I really believe that that was true. And there's a point at which I guess I'm imagining that even $5 million an episode, you have so much money. I guess $5 million an episode is lacks enticement. If you have tons and tons of money, I don't know how that would be, but it turned out to be, I think a really good decision because it preserved the show's legacy. And even if you were just strictly motivated by money, it's possible that if they had kept trying to squeeze that thing, it would have lost its luster if it went on too long. And maybe we wouldn't see the incredible revenues that they see still from the syndication of it. So it seems like it worked out for him. Okay. What did you personally think of the finale of Seinfeld? I'm actually a defender of the finale. I know a lot of people hated it and I completely understand why, but I think that there's a couple things. First of all, I think the hype was so intense around that thing at the time that there's almost nothing they could have done that would have made people happy. I mean, expectations were just way too high. I don't know what people wanted, but they, it turns out they didn't want what they got. And I think if you watch it now, you see what's great about it is that at least it sort of tries to make a statement and do something interesting and provoke discussion. So, you know, and especially at that time, we didn't see especially sitcom finales be thought provoking. Usually that somebody would get married or have a baby or, you know, live happily ever after kind of thing. But Larry David really tried to, you know, when he came back to write the finale, he really came back to do something and he did it. (laughs) I admire, (laughs) I admire the kind of, you know, making a statement and actually making something interesting happen. I think one of the most interesting things about your book, Seinfeldia, is all of the cultural connections that you weave together. The little interesting facts, like, for example, I was really interested in the part, it was interesting about the fact that Frank Sinatra passed away. That was so interesting. Tell us about that. (laughs) Yeah, Frank Sinatra died the same day as the finale. And in the reports the next day, there was this little detail that was noted, which was that he did, in fact, end up dying anyway. But when they when the ambulances were rushing him to the hospital, it was a lot easier because everyone was at home watching Seinfeld. Such a strange. And I mean, there's a, there's like a little I was like trying to, you know, two big New York things in a lot of ways tied together by that strange coincidence. The subtitle of your book, How a Show About Nothing Changed Everything, the book is called Seinfeldia. In what way would you say Seinfeld influenced the world, changed everything? It it, it does make a snappy subtitle, doesn't it? Um, it does. <laughs> like, so what did it change? Okay, now we got to figure that out. No, I think this is definitely one of our most influential shows of modern times. I feel like it really ushered in that what we're now in this era, whatever you want to call it, of the golden age of television, whatever you want to think of it as. We know now that the TV is kind of the prestige medium that it never was before. And it's the cool thing. That's what everybody watches and talks about. And, and that's cultural currency now. And I think Seinfeld really sort of presaged that and made TV smart, showed that even a sitcom of all things could be smart and have multiple layers and have things to talk about and literary illusions and all kinds of wonderful things that smart people like. It used to be, you'd say like at a smart people party, like, Oh, I don't even have a TV. 
you know, because I'm just so smart. I'm just too cool for that. But now that's not true. And I think Seinfeld helped bring that era in and also really prepared us for the idea that you could have main characters who are not exactly paragons of morality. It used to be you always had to have a main character who people looked up to. And this is not the case with Seinfeld. It prepared us for the idea that our characters, our main characters could be not necessarily great people that we actually would want to look up to and be like. You can love a character like George Costanza, but that doesn't mean you want to be him. And that prepares the way for more morally questionable characters like a Tony Soprano or a Don Draper, that sort of thing. And it proved to network executives that we can embrace those characters and love them and want to watch about them. They're actually way more interesting to watch than perfect people. Do you think Seinfeld will be remembered the same way shows like I Love Lucy, The Three Stooges? Do you think it'll be in the same class? I do. I actually think in some ways, you know, it's it's proving even more resilient. I, I mean, it's hard to know because those shows are even older and they still resonate, right? We still watch I Love Lucy, which is incredible. But Seinfeld, we still kind of relate to that show almost as if it's still on. It feels so omnipresent still. People still quote it all the time. Watch it constantly. Now people are discovering it via Hulu streaming. So it's funny. I feel like in some ways it could last even longer than some of those shows simply because technology is making it even easier for us to continue to enjoy the things that resonate still and also discuss them online and geek out about them in those ways as well. You're right. It's almost like it feels like they're still at that cafe. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's so strange. I mean, something that really struck me when I was writing it is the way that, at least in New York City, it's still advertised on buses and subways and things, the reruns, which you don't see for many other shows. You don't see other shows being pushed that way. And it's like them it's from photos of that time. So it almost feels like they never age. And it's, it's sort of shocking when you see Jerry Seinfeld in present day and you're like, Oh, right. You're like, you know, 20 years older. I forgot. Just to kind of uh, let you know, it, it's just my opinion, not this radio station. I don't want to get in trouble. I'm really, really glad you wrote this book. I really, I devoured it. Thank you. Our special guest has been Jennifer Armstrong. She wrote Seinfeldia. How a show about nothing changed everything. This interview, I know because of Seinfeld's fandom, there's going to be people who hear it from all over the globe. So my last question is kind of Mm open-ended. For anyone who's listening to us talk, what would you say to them? Um, I would say enjoy Seinfeld. If If you haven't watched it, you know, it's a great example of American comedy. And... If you have watched it a million times, then that's great. And keep watching. I feel like there's always something more to see. Well, thank you very much for sharing with us. Thank you for having me. It was an honor to talk to you. Thank you very much. Real quick, plug your website so people can find out more. Yes. So you can find me online at jenniferkarmstrong.com, and all the info is there. Wonderful. Have a good one. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Pop, pop, doodly, zing, bang, doodly, knock, cock, cheep, da, boo. Bippity, pot, a, cut, a, gee, da, po, pop, 
Bären lagen dir lang, obwohl der Gelle gegen Bären lagen. Oh, der Gelle, ich